There. There we go. Okay, we're going to be in Matthew 6 today, so you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Now, next week, uh, this is summertime, so we have people traveling. We have a lot of people here that are participating and helping out at Yellowstone Bible Camp. And I know we have a crew that's up there this week, and there'll be a crew up there next week. Uh, my family helps out with the teen session, so the high school session of Yellowstone Bible Camp. So I will be gone again next week, and uh, Coulter Roscos and Richard Downey will be bringing the lesson. Both of them are going to speak for 10 to 15 minutes each. And so it's a, it'll be a blessing for everybody. I know they've shared a, a little bit about what each of them is going to share, and I think it's going to be just a tremendous uh, encouraging time for, for everybody hearing God's word from, from various people. I think that's, that's healthy, that's important, and excited for, for you guys to be able to experience that and participate in it next week. Now, uh, we're going to jump in here for uh, what we're going to talk about. And during the, uh, this morning, during teen camp, we're going to spend all week, uh, the teachers, we're going to team teach through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7, where Jesus talks about this is what it means to look like a person of God. You know, the stuff from the inside. How do you, how do you honor God in, in a, assembly and worship and how do you honor God in, in your giving or your generosity or and all that kind of stuff and Jesus talks through that as this is what a person of God looks like and it got me thinking because I've been preparing and thinking about some of that here over the last weeks is there's a TV show uh, called the American Idol now how many of you have seen that okay okay you all need to repent and come forward or, no I don't know what it is actually I have no idea I really don't know what it's about Except that people get up and sing and they get critiqued, right? Is that basically it? And there's some of the people that critique, uh, critique pretty harshly, and that's part of the entertainment value, right? Because, uh, I, okay, so I got the idea. But this, this term here, American Idol, an idol is something or someone that we revere, that we put up on a pedestal and we give a lot of credibility and honor to. So that's the idea, is, people, or is that people go and sing and they become this person that is revered and honored because of their singing ability. Now, when I started thinking about it, I started thinking about what is the real American idol. I know that when I lived in Italy, someone told me once, uh, there in Rome, is that Rome is a city that has historically been full of idols. And if you ask someone now, what is the idol of the Romans, they would probably have to say Olympic Stadium because that's where AS Roma and SS Lazio, the big soccer clubs in Rome, that's where they play. And that place will pack more people in there than any other house of worship or anything. And that, in some ways, is the idol, is where those big soccer clubs play. And I was thinking about it is here in America, we, have, uh, we don't have any idols, right? There's nothing that we bow down to. There's not any of these images and such like that. Like maybe here's some examples. Uh, here's some examples of, of idols that that the Israelites wrestled with. On the right there, that is an artist's rendition of Molech. And Molech was the one that we've talked about before, one of the Canaanite gods that they would heat his hands up and as burnt offerings and sacrifices, people would place their children on that. It's hard to even say. And the other one there is the one with the horns, that's Baal. These are idols that people would bow down and worship because they thought somehow, some way, this idol is the answer to the solution for the problems that I have in life. Maybe my crops aren't going very well. Maybe I can't have children. Maybe all of those sort of things. And if I don't give a sacrifice to these idols, then things are just going to go badly for me. 
And we look at that and think, what? What on earth? How on earth could a person do that? That's terrible. And through all of our God's revelation to us, finally he got through to us in this part of the world anyway and said, no way, you can't do this. That's bad. It's wrong. It's going to be destructive. It's terrible. I don't want that. That's not the kind of sacrifices I want. You are not to revere these things here. But we do have our idols in our world, don't we? They're a little harder to define. You can't oftentimes uh, go and, and, and look at we Like there's not an idol temple down the, the street here that people go and sacrifice um, their children to. But we have a nation, I would say, that is full of idols in different ways. And what is, if we could put a name on it, uh, what is the great American idol? Now, I'm gonna, this is another artist's rendition here of... Uh, an idol called mammon. Now, mammon is an old word for money. But how many of you have read uh, John Milton's Paradise Lost? Maybe you were forced to in school at some point. Okay, some of you have read it. Now, if you've read that, now you're a rock star because that is volumes and volumes. When it first came out, it was ten volumes. And the, next, the second, the, the uh, revised version came out, it was 12 volumes, came out in 1667, I think. Let me double check. Yeah, 1667. And so it's hard for us to understand now because a lot of the vocabulary has changed, even though it was written in English. It's written like that old, old King James language sort of thing. But it is volumes and volumes of poem about how Adam and Eve fell from paradise. And all the, the things, it's fiction, but all that was going on uh, spiritually in the background to uh, enable that to be able to happen. And so in John Milton's description of Paradise Lost, this Garden of Eden that had been lost, and because sin entered the world through mankind, there is a fallen angel that is there in his story that is named Mammon. And this fallen angel is all hunched over because... When he was actually in the presence of God and when he was in heaven, he spent so much time focusing on and looking at the streets of gold because they were so beautiful that he can't stand straight up anymore because he was so convinced that that was so beautiful and it was amazing and that was his object of attention and his eyes were constantly there. So he gets thrown out of God's presence. What he does is he fixates on gold. He fixates on all sorts of stuff that uh, that he thinks is going to make him happy. And he's never happy because it's just this constant... Never, never, never finishes. And we'll get to that. But here's an artist's rendition of this god, this mammon. And you see what he has there. He has, he's holding out some riches there for someone to take. And that person is bowing down before the god of mammon. But you see what else is in his hand there, in his right hand? He has the riches there in his left hand. In his right hand, he has a chain And so the idea being is that when this person bows down before this god of money or this god of mammon and reaches up to grab it, when they reach up, they get chained. An amazing picture to look at, isn't it? Because that's how this John Milton painted this god or this fallen angel of mammon that goes throughout trying to tempt people to put their hopes in money somehow. Now, there's a lot of appeal to the God of Mammon, and Jesus will talk about it here in just a minute. But you think about, this is really the the gist of it, is our world, and this God of Mammon will tell us, 
that things or sometimes experiences can bring happiness. Okay, because if you get enough stuff and you accumulate enough things or you accumulate the right things, what happens is you can have personal security. And there is some security that comes through it. I have never had to live day to day wondering if I'm going to eat the next day. And many people in the history of the world have. I have days worth of food. If something changes, I can eat um, granola bars for days, you know. We've got packages of those and boxes of those that are sitting around our house. And so having some wealth gives some security that I don't have to worry. I'm not tempted to worry all the time on what, where my next meal is going to come from. But money can also give a personal worth, confidence, and value. Because in our world, when you look around and somebody has done well financially and you look at them, our tendency is to revere them more than a person that has had business failure after business failure after business failure, right? And that's not all incorrect, but it's deceptive here. It also uh, promises to give us some power, because instead of working for others, we have others that get to work for us, and we can have uh, power over them in some way. Again, that's not all bad, but there's a subtle evil here that we'll get to. It gives us independence, you know, I get to a point where I don't have to worry about or rely on anybody else and I am completely and totally independent and I can uh, fill up my time with all sorts of things that I enjoy and I love and I don't have to do the things that I don't want and I can only do the things and participate in the experiences that I like and I love. And that's the stuff that I can... Boy, you look at this. Is In so many ways, this is just the American dream, isn't it? You know, there's part of us that I, I can see... You know, I watch your your expressions when I preach. And we're all looking at this thinking, oh yeah, that kind of sounds pretty familiar to me. Yeah, that's, uh, mm-hmm, yep, I get it, yep, I, yep, mm-hmm, yep. But here's the problem, is that the God mammon, the idol mammon, never stops taking. And what happens is when we get something that we've been saving up for, something we're really excited about, then, oh, wait a minute, there's something else over here, and oh, there's something else over there, and it just goes and goes and goes and goes, and it never stops. And if we're not careful, what can happen is we live this life with all of our effort focused on trying to do or get whatever that next thing is, and then we get some point in life, we look around and think, what on earth did I use my life for? And we realize we've used it all on ourselves. See, that's the deceptive, sneaky thing about this idol that runs rampant in our world. So let's go to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll see what Matthew has to say about it as he is writing down uh, Jesus' words here. And I'll read from verses 19 to 21 of Matthew chapter 6. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, Jesus says the key verse here is, for your treasure, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he starts off by telling us, okay, this is what you're not supposed to do. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin or rust destroy. The idea, there's, you know, we've come a long way in our materials and, and how we store things. And so I've never had a moth come in and, and tear my garments apart or eat them. But that was something that happened a lot you know, years ago 
is that you had to be really careful because stuff was going to eat your clothes. Uh, you couldn't just place it anywhere. You had to really store it carefully. But eventually, everything wears out, doesn't it? How many of you guys have ever bought a coat or a pair of shoes or a vehicle or something like that that you bought it new, you were so excited about? Can you think of something? Yeah. Now, those kind of things, I have, my house is full of them. And I walk around through our house and our garage and I look around and I see all these things that I have saved up for and I have bought at some point in time. Some were necessities and some were less necessities. And I look around and I see all those things and none of them was in the condition they were when I bought them. Because what happens is they start to rust, they start to wear out, they need maintenance and all that sort of thing. And in our world, technology changes so quickly. If I held up the phone that I had 10 years ago here... The younger generation wouldn't even know what it was, probably, and the rest of you would laugh at me. There it is, exactly. That's what would happen. That would be the response. Because it would be like, never mind, it's just old stuff. It wears out quickly. And so what happens if we put all of our efforts and all of our, our eyes, and we'll talk about our eyes here in just a minute, into stuff that wears out we're just going to find ourselves constantly chasing whatever the next thing is. Think about this, or where thieves break in and steal. Uh, Wall Street, our world is full of people that do everything they can to try to, to, uh, uh, to make more money than the next person, which means that someone else doesn't make as much. Uh, there's, uh, how many of you have ever had something stolen? Yeah, most of us have somewhere. Um, some things that happen in the stock market sometimes uh, amount to thievery. There's, we could save a whole lot of money up, we can save a lot up, and at some point, somewhere, someone comes out of the blue and just, phew, it's gone. And if you've experienced that, you know how disheartening that is. And what Jesus is saying is, don't store up for all, your, all, all, all this type of stuff in this life that's just going to wear out. Instead, store it for yourselves and trip for yourselves, treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Put your efforts into cultivating and storing up those things. For example, you think about, uh, what, what is he talking about? Stuff that, that doesn't rust, stuff that can't be destroyed. Those are things like good deeds. You ever thought about the good deeds that you do are an investment in eternity? For example, whenever you decide I'm going to do something that is right for somebody else right now, even though I would prefer to do something that I want to do, I'm going to set aside my own desires right now in order to be a blessing for somebody else. What you're doing is you're creating an investment for eternity. You're planting seeds for the kingdom of God, and you're creating an investment that nobody can take away. Or maybe it's the relationships that we have. You know, cultivating those, um, the people around us, and letting them know they're valued, letting them know we love them, taking care of those great relationships because some of those can help launch us into eternity. Or service that we, uh, that we give to others, making being a part of the assembly here and being an active part of the church on a regular basis a priority, even though at times it's hard to love one another. At times we would like to do something else, but saying, no, God is number one, and my job in this life is to be someone who honors God. All of that are investments that nobody can take away from you. Satan can't take away from you, and nobody from Wall Street can come along. Some, some person that's going to... Uh, 
I'm going to try to, uh, to steal from you. Uh, rust, moths, nothing can take that stuff away. And as you can imagine, Jesus teaching this group of people here, he's saying all this stuff that you can accumulate in this life, ultimately, it's going to be gone someday. So think about the things that matter for eternity and invest your efforts into those things. He continues on in verse 22. And he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are, full, are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Okay, the idea that he's getting across here is that we learn a lot about ourselves by what our eyes are looking at. And so if our eyes are always looking at, oh man, what can I do in order to get wealthy next? Or what can I do in order to, to get this thing next? And that's where our eyes are always focused. Then what it's telling us is that there's some darkness in our heart is that we are worshiping this idol. But if we look at ourselves and do an honest assessment and we see that our eyes are looking towards the people around us, our eyes are looking towards God's kingdom, we're looking, about, we're looking towards God, what can I do today to wake up to be your person and to honor you? Then it says that our heart is full of light. Uh, when we, Our insides are full of light when that's where our eyes are focused. Let's continue on. Verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the old translations in English would use the term here. It became famous during the time of John Milton in the 1600s. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And the idea being is that money is, can be, this great idol that takes us away from serving in the kingdom of God. This is uh, pretty convicting for me to think about because in this life Jesus tells us that we have a choice and the choice is clear. We can either fix our eyes on, as Scripture says, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we can pursue him. Or we can pursue the things of this world. And being a good, red-blooded American, there's part of me thinks, wait a minute, can't we do both? And Jesus says very clearly, no, you cannot. You have to decide whose slave you're going to be. If you're going to be the servant of God, or you're going to be the servant that is continually trying to run after the next thing. How many of you, remember, we're in the church building here, so you can't lie, right? How many of you find this teaching of Jesus convicting? How many of you are thinking in your own heart right now, oh man, whoo man, okay, here we go. I'm not sure what this looks like with me. So I'm going to give some questions that, um, that I thought about this week that help um, help us uh, try to dig out what's really important to us in this life. Here's a couple of things, and I think we should start off with avoiding some extremes, okay? Because what happens is we love to make, make a, as people, we would love for things to be black and white all the time. And Jesus does make a black and white statement here. You either serve me or you serve mammon. You serve this other idol. That's the distinction. But what does that look like and how does it, how does it look? And so sometimes we try to, in fact, there was a minister I heard about years ago that he was famous for standing behind the pulpit and he would say, when he's talking about this God of mammon, he would say, 
If you have two cars, then you are worshiping mammon because there's no reason in this life that anybody needs two vehicles. You know, his booming voice would go out there and people would bow their, you know, hang their heads if they had two vehicles because they knew that they were worshiping a false god. But something changed in his life and his family grew. And a few years later it changed. Is that materialism and worshiping, worshiping this false idol is having two cars and a boat. And he just went from there because his life had changed and unfortunately he had been convicting everybody else on something before and some, some maybe some boundaries that God didn't make. And so we need to be careful how we judge each other and sometimes ourselves. First of all, here is a statement that comes up sometimes. All material concerns are sinful. Therefore, we need to get rid of all our material goods. And monks did this, and still do it today, but they did this throughout the Middle Ages. I'm going to own nothing. I'm going to have no material concerns whatsoever so that I can give myself fully to God. Well... You know, Paul says something in Philippians 4, 10-13. He says, I have learned the secret to being content with little, and I have learned the secret to being content with much. And what Paul is sharing is that there's sometimes where I've had very little in life, and there's sometimes where I have had much in life, but I've learned that that's not the issue. The secret is, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. And so when I wake up and I'm in a place of abundance, I say, God, strengthen me to not put my faith in this stuff. And when I wake up with little, I look to God and say, God, give me the strength and the faith to believe that you are going to provide, even when it doesn't look like it. You see, this, is, this idol is something that's very, um, it's very subtle, because this is not an idol that is just one that afflicts the rich. In fact, there's many wealthy, wealthy people out there that think very little about their riches and think much about God's kingdom. And there are many people out there that live in abject poverty that can't do anything else except think about where they're going to get their next meal and continually focus on getting the next stuff. Do you see? This idol is independent of the stuff that we have. It's a matter of heart. Here's another one. Financial planning is sinful. We just need to trust God to provide with everything that we have, and and that's it. Except for Proverbs talks a lot about, look at the ant. The ant stores away and prepares for the future. Be hardworking like the ant. And you see that here. And so God is not opposed to us financially planning. He tells us that's very important. That's the right thing to do. Some would say sometimes profit is sinful. This is kind of the idea that people who are, are, are good and God is gifted to make money and do well, that's sinful somehow. There's something, there's something wrong there because we just need to, all of us need to be non-profits somehow. However, James 4 talks about, uh, and it's in the context of you know, very similar what Jesus is talking about here, being prayerful about our choices. He says, some of you say, well, we'll go to this city or that and we'll make money and we'll do this. He says, how, how foolish. You don't know what tomorrow looks like. And if you don't plug God into these decisions and ask Him for guidance, then things will not, they're just, it's not godly. It's not kingdom living. But you notice James doesn't say, don't go to this other city and make money. Don't pursue business opportunities. You need to do so in the context of God being Lord of all. That's what's important. Number four, wealth is a blessing. Not always. 
Read the story, uh, the parable of the soils in Mark chapter 4. Because when you get down to the soil that, uh, that is the thorny soil, it says that the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the plant out, making it unfruitful. So in other words, the plant grows, but when it's time to produce fruit, there's no fruit there because the person is so concerned about the worries of life, continually what's happening around, and I'm continually putting efforts and thoughts into to what all of that, and the deceitfulness of wealth. I have enough to know that I don't have to worry about God and his kingdom. So wealth is not always a blessing. It can be very much a stumbling block for us that takes us the wrong direction. And all wealthy people are sinful. Uh, no. You know, we see that in Scripture. Is that some of the greatest people of faith, Abraham, Job, Joseph of Arimathea, are all people that indicates that there's some great wealth there. And that's not all of them. There's many, many more. But we see poor people that are ungodly. We see rich people that are ungodly. And we see everywhere in between on both sides of that. So these are some extremes that it's important when we talk about this subject that are important to avoid here. But here's some questions that I would like us to think about. Um, questions to consider when we're looking in our own hearts. Where does your money, time, and resources go? Because that's what Jesus says. Where your wealth is, there your heart is also. And if I look at myself and I see myself spending a huge amount of money into my hobbies, into uh, whatever I want to do at any given time, and I look around and I'm really not investing much in the kingdom of God, then the reality is, if I'm going to take a hard look at myself, is that the kingdom of God is is not number one in my life. And ultimately, I am worshiping this other god of, of mammon. Now, something I think about, and an example that God gave us that's beautiful, when the church was established there in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 2, it says that people started selling their properties, started selling things, so that there was no needy person among them. But can you imagine what's happening there? Is God's kingdom... The church is expanding. People are hearing the message of God. There's so much good happening. The people are looking around saying, okay, I've got this piece of property. I've got this bit of wealth over here. And I can either sit on it and I can hang on to it. But there's no way I can do that when all of this good stuff is happening over here. And I'm going to sell that because my, I've learned that my kingdom is not in this world. My home is, is in heaven someday. And I'm going to sell that because I want spiritual things to happen. I want seeds to be planted. I want souls to be changed. And that's what I want my legacy to be. Not some piece of property over here. I want it here. And you see that people sold part of their properties. People gave it to uh, the apostles. The apostles focused on feeding people and getting the message out there. Acts chapter 6 said they continued to devote themselves, as the apostles said, to prayer and a teaching of the world word because they wanted people supported that because they cared so much about what was happening in the spiritual realm right there and so when we get excited about our faith that's the kind of decisions that we tend to make is we tend to uh, sell things we tend to be generous beyond what we really can afford to do because we see so much good spiritual that's happening now, Yellowstone Bible Camp is a great example of this. Uh, there were some people came together in the 1950s and said, we believe that the Church of Christ in Montana can thrive and grow 
in the future. And something we would love to see is a Bible camp that brings unity and brings people together and brings people from maybe all over the world so that they can hear the message of God and go back and they can be changed and transformed and be active in their church communities wherever they're from. Now, there was a number of years ago, uh, for insurance purposes, we took a look at Yellowstone Bible Camp, and it's worth way more than any of us would want to pay now. That facility, that piece of property where it's at. But what happened is back in the 1950s, I think we, the Church of Christ in Montana bought it for $25,000 or something crazy like that. But there were several families that took out second mortgages in their homes in order to pay for that. In the first many years that, that camp functioned, there were people, there was no way to pay for it. In fact, Bill Goldman tells a story talking to his dad. says, hey, was there enough money made from camps this year, from fees, to help pay for what happened for the, for, um, for the camp to be able to, to be in the green this year? And he said, I don't see how that's going to happen. So people, just like you and me, just said, we're going to give because we see something so beautiful and amazing happening here in the future. And we get to experience the blessings of that. There are tons of examples we'd come up with. But this is a great question to ask us. Am I investing in eternity or am I investing in stuff right here, right now? Second, do I really need this and will this bring me kingdom joy? If I buy this, whatever it is, and maybe that's important for us to think about, is the stuff that we buy is very much a spiritual exercise. That's what God tells us. And if I'm buying stuff that ultimately is going to, um, I'm going to, uh, it's going to wear out and I'm going to be frustrated a month from now, a year from now or whatever, and I can live just fine without this, I would encourage you to wrestle with that and think about that. And I encourage myself the same. Next, what do you do when you lose something or have an unexpected expense? Okay, those moments when all of a sudden, bam, we're not expecting the bad news or we've lost something of value or we have this unexpected expense. Our hot water heater goes out. No, there's a hailstorm. Our insurance isn't going to cover a lot of the roof damage. Whatever it is, car breaks down. That never happens, right? Car breaks down. All of a sudden we realize we have to buy another vehicle and we're not ready to do that. What happens right at that moment speaks volumes about what's really in our hearts. And if what comes out is, is rage, bargaining, all this sort of stuff with God, then it gives us a great opportunity to say, all right, God, um, I need to walk by faith here right now. I've never starved yet, and I'm probably not going to this time. I just ask for you to provide. And it gives us an opportunity to get our hearts in order. Uh, what do you try to protect and keep in this life? Is it stuff or is it people and relationship the, in a healthy sense? We try to look around and say, I want to keep and maintain relationships with people so I can continue to influence and bless them. Or is it about my stuff? Who can I ask if I'm really worshiping mammon? I would recommend that all of us at times ask people that are close to us and say, hey, is it, you see something in my life that that I haven't given to God. Now, the difficult thing about us as Americans asking this to each other, ask, do you think I'm um, too rounded up? Do you think I'm too uh, consumed with materialism? Because it's kind of like 
One alcoholic asking another alcoholic, do I drink too much? No, bud, bro, you're good. It's all good. <laughs> no, because this is so rampant in our world. Maybe this is a time where we have to listen really to ourselves honestly, deeply, without comparing ourselves to anybody else. Let's say, God, I really want to know if this is a God, this mammon is a God that I serve, or is this... And if I do, help me to know what changes I need to make to get more in step with what you want me to be in your kingdom. Let's look at Psalm chapter 4. Or four. I think I... Go ahead and turn there. Um, Psalm 4. Nope, I put that up there incorrectly. Never mind. Maybe 14. Nope, never mind. I'll have to look and double check. Anyway, I may send that out, but there's, there's a scripture there, one of the Psalms. If someone knows what it is, just shout it out. Because I wrote it down there when I was moving fast, I guess, when I was putting this together and missed it. Um, let me see if I have it here. Anyway, this Psalm talks about don't be concerned when you see someone accumulating lots of wealth. Okay, It doesn't mean a whole lot. You just stay the course. Great Psalm uh, gives us some great things to think about there. Think about this. So why did God give us money? Why did he, did he give us wealth? Why did he give us all this stuff if it's such a trap for us? Because there's some really good things that we use it for. First of all, Scripture talks about we use what we've been given to take care of our family and provide for our family. In fact, Scripture says if we are unwilling and we do not take care of our families, then we're worse than unbelievers. That's important. That's valuable. This is one of our priorities that we're given. Second, to help those in need. 2 Corinthians 8 talks about this. Look around, be generous with the people around you that are in need. That's where we get ourselves in trouble sometimes. The story story with uh, the rich man and Lazarus in the book of Luke, where the rich man walked by Lazarus day in, day out. He's sitting there and he never looks at him, never takes care of him, never lifts a finger to, to give him any sort of concern or to bless him. So look around us. 44? 49. Okay, 49. Let's read that. Thank you, David. Psalm 49. You guys rock. Okay, Psalm 49. And I'm going to read verses 16 through 20. It says, Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their house and houses increases, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not, be, will not descend with them. But while they live, they count themselves blessed, and people praise you when you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like beasts that perish. In other words, don't get too excited when somebody else around you gets wealthy. You just continue to be faithful to God. It's all going to sort out anyway. Okay, help those in need. Number three, to support the spreading of God's message. 1 Corinthians 9, all through that chapter, Paul gives a description of why it's important to support people to share the message of God. It's one of the greatest investments that we can make in this life so that God's message is shared, people grow, God's message gets out there. So here is a a few passages down there in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus shares... Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So I would encourage you as you leave here, for all of us, um, I think we can look and say with honesty that maybe the great American idol 
is wealth, isn't it? That's a great American idol that runs rampant in our world, and we here this morning are not anywhere near being exempt from it. So it's important for all of us is to remember that God is not telling us this stuff to ruin our fun. What God is telling us is that this stuff will not make you happy because it never stops. It just goes and goes and goes and we have to get, 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 get. And thousands of years ago, long before Jesus, God told us, keep your eyes fixed on me. Seek first my kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. I've got you. But in order to receive the greatest blessings in this life and the next life, what we have to do is let go of the control that we like to keep. Say, God, I am not going to worship this God of mammon. I'm going to be one that worships you first and foremost. I know that means changes in my life. I know it means reflecting. I know it means not comparing myself to others. And someone, you know, this is something that ultimately is a matter of the heart. It's not black and white in so many ways. But help me, genuinely, God, to be the person that you want me to be, you want me to be, and seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing that you're going to give beyond my wildest dreams the things that I need. I think this is convicting for all of us, and I hope that as we get into God's word today that it touches all of our hearts and refines us more to look like what God wants us to be and to live the abundant life of Jesus. If you'd like to become a Christian today or you'd like prayers of the church, Head to the back. The elders are back there waiting to pray with you. Let's all stand and sing together.